Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Would you please take your Bibles, open them to Nehemiah chapter 6, the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. We're going to be in chapter 6, and the title of our message today is Remaining Faithful Despite the Challenges. Remaining faithful no matter the challenges. Because if there's one thing you will face as you step out in faith, it will be challenges and attacks and spiritual warfare. We're in this series as we conclude today, launching off into a new year, learning how and being reminded to go forth in faith. The phrase we're using is into faith we go. And how exciting it is to abide in Jesus, following his lead, learning steps of obedience, knowing that God is doing a great work among us. And we come to a great section in the Bible, zeroing in on a man's life and his faithful obedience to God. Nehemiah was living life on an ordinary day and a call of God came to him. And as we've learned before, that it didn't necessarily, calls of God don't come through burning bushes and they don't come through supernatural things, although sometimes they do. Most often they come to us as we are daily doing what God has called us to do. So what's Nehemiah doing? Nehemiah's at work. He has this wonderful position. I mean, really, it's a position in the government, a government job where he can coast into retirement. There's really no other need necessary in his life. He has been placed in a great position of trust. And God calls him to a new work through a conversation, a conversation with his brother. His brother tells him things are not well in Jerusalem. The walls are broken down, the people are in distress, and it moves Nehemiah's heart. He begins to pray. And in his prayer, God calls him and speaks to him and says, I want you to go back. So he goes to his boss, the king, and he asks for a leave of absence, a very challenging thing. He asks for a leave of absence, not for himself, but for the sake of God's people. And he heads off, and he is used of God to rally the people, to rebuild the walls primarily, so that alongside of Ezra and Zerubbabel, the temple can be rebuilt and worship life will return to the broken down city of Jerusalem. By the time we come to chapter six, God is making great progress through his people and through the leadership of Nehemiah. The walls are almost, well the walls are complete, the gates are almost hung. And with the walls being rebuilt, the leaders are starting to lead, the people are repenting, and so both practically and spiritually, things are moving forward in very glorious ways. And all of these studies we've been looking at, whether it's this little series or when we jump back into the book of Hebrews and we look at example after example after example of what faith looks like and what God honors, things are being stirred up in us. Decisions are made. Things that are leading us to step out and to step in to newness and freshness. Today I want to warn you. It's God's will for me 
to warn us as a church today, everyone listening to us on the radio, as this goes out on Abounding Grace, so as you're listening live on Grace FM right now, you're watching live, anybody listening to me, God wants me to warn you that when you make and progress for God, and when you take steps of faith, you will face opposition. And the greater the progress, listen, the greater the progress, the greater the opposition. The greater the progress, the greater the pushback for you to stop the work of God for your life. You know, we're all here today with a plan, God's plan for our lives. You have a unique purpose and plan within the body of Christ, within this community. You have one, I have one, we have one as a church. And the goal of God is to use you in greater capacities that are beyond your imagination. Whatever you can think of today, whatever you can think of of how God will use you, God wants to do even greater and grander things. But as real as God is, the devil, this created being that God himself created, he created him as a good angel that rebelled against him, he's real. As real as God is, the devil is real. And I'm sure you've heard it put this way. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Doesn't that just make you feel so good and warm? It's true. God loves me and he has a plan he's working out in my life. Well, let me tell you this. The devil, he hates you and wants to destroy your life. Wants to do ruinous things. Jot it down in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9. Paul declares, for a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. There's a great open door. Opportunities abound, and adversaries are there right at that moment. Let me read it to you in the New Living Translation. He says, this is 1 Corinthians 16, 9. There is a wide open door for a great work here. I think of that in our own community. There is a great and wide open door for God's work to continue in our city. How many times have I reminded you that even now as I'm teaching, even now as we're worshiping, even as we're singing, even as we're serving, there are men and women praying for our city. There are men and women praying about moving to our city. There are men and women praying about reaching our city, wanting to plant a church, start a ministry. They are praying for us and praying for our neighbors and they wanna see, they wanna see God move greatly in this city. And guess what? We're here already. And yet so many have lost their passion to reach the lost. So many have lost their desire to be used greatly by God. There's a great and effective open door for us here in Aurora, in Denver, throughout the metro area, in our state, in our country, in our world. The last time I looked, our city's not saved yet. Have you noticed? Last time I looked, Denver, not saved. Colorado, not saved. United States of America, not saved. The world, we're still to go into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And with that open door, Paul says in the New Living, many oppose me. Many oppose. There is great progress which will bring great opposition. You see, the devil, he hates you. And he'll take you as distracted, as disrupted, and ultimately, he'll take the destroyed ruins of sinful decisions in your life. He wants you as a Christian to be as weak and feeble and ineffective. 
He'll take any compromise you have. He'll take any weakness you have and exploit it to destroy you. He doesn't want you relying on Jesus. He doesn't want you abiding in him. He doesn't want you worshiping. He doesn't want you serving. He doesn't want you reading. He doesn't want you enjoying life. He wants your marriages ruined, church. He wants your kids shattered. He'll take you as miserable and depressed and as compromised as you'll give him. He'll take whatever you have and he'll want more as he's never satisfied. He'll take you, he'll take anything and everything but you growing strong spiritually. And with great progress, there's always a spiritual battle raging around our lives. I know many times it manifests itself with people situations and difficulties among people as we see today in Nehemiah's life. The attacks that Nehemiah faces were directly related to people that hated God and therefore hated him. But they had an air, like Paul would write to young Timothy, they had an appearance, a form of godliness. They, they even used spiritual language at times, but they denied the power therein, the power of God. They weren't, weren't true believers. They weren't true followers of God. They hated God and Nehemiah took the brunt of their hatred toward God because Nehemiah was a lover of God. And there's always that battle and there's always that tension. So while much of what we face is with people, never forget, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And it's not about the people as much as it is about the demonic presence behind that situation, the spiritual warfare to destroy you. Today, if you're taking notes, I want to show you four oppositions or four attacks on the life of Nehemiah. And I'll just let you know, by the time we get to the end of the chapter, Nehemiah makes it through. He passes the test of all of them. And because Nehemiah can pass the test, so can you and I. And yet we'll face them nonetheless. And they're very hard and very difficult. So pick up with me in chapter 6, verse 1 of Nehemiah, where it says, Now it happened when Sanballat and Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it, though at the time I had not hung the doors and the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together in one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. So I sent, verse 3, messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? But they sent me this message four times and I answered them in the same manner. So here's strategy number one. Here's attack number one. There's an invitation to negotiation. An invitation to negotiation. Now, I use those two words because they kind of rhyme, so let me explain them to you. This was an invitation to leave the work. An invitation to leave the work for some other purpose. And it's relentless, you'll see. The attack of the enemy is relentless. Here, Nehemiah is almost done. God's progress is evident. And I love it, I love it in the verse, first verse. They had heard of the progress of God. It reminds me of what Rahab said, remember? With Rahab, she had heard, she had said, we all know of the power of your God. We know all about you. We've heard about you. 
You know how it says that bad news travels fast? That's true. But so does good news. Good news travels fast. And when God is doing something great, the enemies of God hear about it. It is popular. The progress of God's success was obvious. I know so much focus and attention is spent in our lives on bad news, but that's primarily because that's what we expose ourselves to. We tend to find what we're looking for. And if you're looking for good news, there's much to be said. And of course, not everybody's happy with good news. You might have experienced this in your own life personally. Not everybody's happy that you're following God now. And not everybody's happy that you're making so much progress. Not everybody's happy, and unfortunately, not everybody's happy that you're happy. And they come after you, and they attack. Here was an invitation in verse two. Let's meet together in one of the villages in the plain of Ono. And Nehemiah's answer was, oh no, I'm not going. Say it with me, Nehemiah's answer was, no. Learn that word, would you church? Learn that word. It will help you avoid a lot of bad situations. If you will just learn the word no. No, I won't say that. No, I won't go there. No, I won't compromise. No, I won't sin. No, I won't look at that. No, no, no. We'll get you out of a lot of jams. They'll prevent you from getting into jams. But if you find yourself in one, in one today, the Bible says that with every temptation, God will provide you a way of escape. And the word no is one of the most effective places of escape for the believer. So this temptation, come on out, let's talk about this. Let's talk about it. Leave the work and come to the plains of oh no. And the answer was, say it with me, no. The answer was no. And then there's this little phrase in verse two, don't miss it. It says, but they thought to do me harm. Do you know the Bible describes exactly what Nehemiah is experiencing here? In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we are taught that God, through his Holy Spirit, will help us in difficult situations with this, what's known as the gift of discernment or the discerning of spirits. It's defined as the supernatural ability to tell the difference between right and wrong between true and false. So we find, Nehemiah finds himself with this invitation, it's a general invitation, although he's already been introduced to these enemies. He already knows their opposition, but now they're trying to invite him like things have changed. Why don't you come out, let's talk about it. And he's like, no way, because God revealed to him that they thought to do him harm. So his answer was, I'm not leaving a great work. Why would I need to leave a great work? so I can go down to you. And notice in verse four, they didn't stop. Four times, the same message kept coming over and over and over again. You see, at this point in chapter six, at this point with the wall, it's not completely finished. The wall part is finished, but the various areas of the gates have not been hung yet. So the people are still vulnerable. It's still a dangerous situation. 
And for Nehemiah to leave would leave the city and the people in the city much more vulnerable than with his leadership there. And he says, I'm not going, no way. I'm not going to have that. But the devil doesn't let up. Haven't you found that to be true? The warfare doesn't let up. There are times you're just like, man, does it ever let up? The answer is no, not until you meet Jesus face to face. There's this constant resistance to your progress. The devil will never be satisfied with a no answer. Remember that time when the devil came? He thought he was so shrewd, he was so powerful that he came after Jesus himself. Not once, not twice, but three times. And each time the devil came to tempt Jesus, back in you wanna read it, it's Luke chapter four. Each time he came to tempt him, he was resisted. Jesus resisted him with the word of God. And then at the end it says this, in Luke chapter four, verse 13, it says, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from Jesus until an opportune time, till the right time. And here we find Nehemiah over and over and over. The, the enemy's asking him to negotiate, which would have surely led to compromise. And Nehemiah said, I'm not going there. I am doing the good work. Sometime last year, as I was teaching at a men's conference, I don't remember where, somewhere in the country, it hit me, just like I'm standing here, it just hit me and I shared it with the guys. It, it just overcame me with the sense of, and I told them, I said, I have more years behind me than I have in front of me. And it just hit me. Like, I, I, I've, been, I, I've been living for Jesus Christ in February. It'll be 29 years. They've been wonderful. I've served Jesus longer than I've been a rebel sinner. And, a, and, and I've been born again serving God for many years. I love it. It's great. It's grand. But I'm closer to the finish line than I am to the starting line. That's just the facts. I don't know when God will take me home, but the reality is, is I can see the finish line. I actually can see it. And I'm running my race of faith. I know the finish line is just up ahead. And I've got so many years behind me of where I started. And the finish line is there. And I wanna finish my race. I don't wanna be disqualified. I don't wanna quit. I don't wanna negotiate with sin. I don't wanna compromise. I, run a, I wanna run and I wanna run well and I wanna finish. I wanna finish, like Nehemiah here, the work that God has given me to finish. I don't wanna be distracted. And I wanna take as many people with me as possible because you know this to be true. There have been people running side by side in this race of faith and your life and mine that aren't running anymore, that they've quit, that they have, they're done. They, they, you know, you might get the picture, you see like a picture of somebody running the race and then they take a right turn and they just take off. I can think as last night, two faces came to my mind, two people that were entrusted with great leadership here in this church in previous years, two men that are full-blown atheists today. That whatever happened in their life, they just have taken a stand against God. I remember reading in the biography of Billy Graham, one of the men that he started out with, he too turned down the road and became an atheist. Just so resistant to the work of God. Why? Well, we don't know exactly what happens in the heart of a man or a heart of a woman, but I tell you this, they left the work. They took the bait somewhere along the way. A little compromise here, a little dabbling with sin there, because the enemy's never satisfied with the word no. And I want you to finish your race well. 
as you're stepping out in faith, as you're growing in trust, understand that there will be opposition and there will be invitations to negotiate with sin and with compromise. Theories and philosophies. No longer do you allow God's word to speak to you, but now you've got some new philosophy, some new way of thinking. Well, you know, I know what the Bible says, but I think this. Well, understand, whatever you're thinking right now that contradicts the Bible, the Bible is right, and you're wrong. That's what the Bible says. You go, well, that's pretty bold for you to say that. Well, God is all-knowing. He's told us how to live life. And your philosophy might be getting you through a rough time. It might be helping you and navigating through some pain, or it might be helping you to feel smart. And, and now you're, no, listen, the, smart, the smartest choice is to depend upon the wisdom of God. And when invitations come, this gift of discernment is very important. But you don't have to just rely upon some subjective feeling. Do you know the Bible gives us great insight to determine whether someone or something is from God or not? We need to look at it really quick to, before we look at the other points. So would you turn over to James chapter 3? James chapter 3. I can't tell you how many times this particular passage has helped me personally. Where I get an invitation. Hey, come and let's talk. Hey, let's work it out. Hey, and, and I sense in my spirit, I believe this discerning of spirits, and then I measure it by this in God's word, and I'm like, man, that isn't from the Lord. That is not from the Lord. And so I answer like Nehemiah answers, answer with me. I said, no. Is there anybody in this room today? Anybody here? Okay, so then say it with me. I answer and you answer, no. Okay, thanks. Thank you very much. I feel better. James chapter 3. James chapter 3, verse 13. This is so important, church. As you can see, I'm pretty fired up about it because I want you to move forward despite the opposition. I want you to see it coming. I want you to know it's not strange. I want you to know you can get through it. I want you to know that even these invitations to compromise, you'll be able to see right through them. Notice with me, verse 13 of chapter 3. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, which another way you could say fleshly. It's sensual and it's demonic. Because where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing will be there. Nehemiah from God knew that the, on any of the villages on the plain of Ono would be filled with confusion and every evil thing. And he says, that's not for me. It's earthly, sensual, and demonic. Notice the wisdom that comes from God. It says in verse 17, the wisdom that's from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. It sounds very similar to the fruit of the Spirit mentioned in Galatians, doesn't it? And the one that I look for the most, especially when it comes to other people and, and things that aren't reconciled and families and situations, and then you might kind of think, oh, it's happening. The thing that I look for the most is a willingness to yield. 
Because a willingness to yield will then, that what follows that, that surrender to God, when, when you're willing to yield, you're surrendered to God, and what follows that is humility, repentance, admittance, that there was sin, there was a mistake, that I did wrong. You know, willingness to yield doesn't sound like this. I'm very, very sorry for everything you must have done that made you feel bad. That, that's not repentance. Neither is that wisdom from God. Wisdom from God sounds like this. I take full responsibility for the decisions that I made, and you even list them out, that caused you great pain. Will you forgive me? There's a willingness to yield. There's a gentleness. There's a desire for peace. These guys, they don't want peace in the plain of Ono. They want to take Nehemiah down. Number two, pick up with me in verse five. Well, Samballat sent his servant to me as before the fifth time. So not just four, but five times. And he had an open letter in his hands. Now, let me just pause here for a second. We don't speak much of open letters. So in your mind, when you think of open letter, think of social media. Think of a Facebook post. Sam Ballot went to Facebook to take Nehemiah out. And notice what he wrote. It is reported among the nations and Geshem. Well, who's Geshem? Geshem's his friend. So basically he's saying, the whole world knows Nehemiah and my buddy Geshem, the liar. He says this, that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, check this out. They don't even hide it anymore. Therefore... According to these rumors, <laughs> you're rebuilding the wall that you may be their king. To you, you've also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king. So come therefore and let us take counsel together. And then I said, verse 8, no such things as you say are being done, but you invent them in your heart. For they are trying to make us afraid, saying their hands will be weakened in the work and they will not be done. Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Number two. Attack number two was, a, was literally an attack upon his reputation or the attempt to assassinate his character. Now if you've ever had anyone try to attack your reputation or assassinate your character through rumors and lies and all that nonsense, you know how painful it can be. You also know how distracting it can be as you try to put out the fires of all the lies that might be spread about you. And Nehemiah doesn't do that. He still doesn't take the invitation. Instead, he takes a strong stand in verse eight and says, you're lying, you're making these things up, and I'm gonna keep working. I'm gonna keep focused on what God. You know, when I speak to someone uh, about serving here, I remind them that it's important for them to live a life that's blameless or above reproach, according to 1 Timothy chapter three. And the idea behind that word is not a perfect life, but rather this, that when an accusation comes, and they will, it will be false because your life is lived exact opposite. Here, we find that they're going right after his heart, and I, for, Hold on to this thought, but notice in verse 7 that when he says there is a king in Judah. Just keep that in the back of your mind because there's a strange relationship through the enemies of God and the people of God, specifically people in Judah. The assassination of your character is a painful attack. And it makes sense that when God is doing a great work that the enemies of God will go after the leaders. Because if you can disgrace and distract the leader 
take him away from what he or she's been called to do, to go chase down all the accusations, chase down all those things, then the work will stop and the enemy will prevail. The more lies that are spread and repeated, unfortunately, it's a very powerful way to take people out because unfortunately, people believe lies. Even when it says, oh, by the way, Geshem told me. Well, Geshem's another liar like Samballot. And they also mention in verse six that these are rumors. What is it about us that we like to hear rumors? What is it about us that we like to believe rumors? Whatever it is, it needs to be crucified and the old man reckoned dead so that we cling to what is true, honorable, what is right. And there could just be a prayer for us to say, God, forgive us for believing lies about people. It doesn't reflect you, Jesus, because you came in grace and in truth. You, you, are a, you, you, got, you, you have sent your son to reveal to us the path of grace and truth. It's been said, and I'll quote, it's been said that people who spread rumors are like walking infections. The lying words from their mouths spread like disease from person to person. And the only way to stop the disease is to keep your mouth shut. And I would add to keep your ears shut because this is a dangerous place for all of us. But I love his response. He takes a stand. No, you're wrong. I'm getting back to work. You see, this personal attack on Nehemiah's character, they couldn't kill him physically, so they went after his reputation. And he was singled out because they went after him. You can get the leader, then the people will follow. If you can take out mom and dad, the kids will be vulnerable. If you can take out a Christian leader, you can take out a pastor, you can take out a Sunday school teacher. Look, you think teaching the kids is not that significant, but let me tell you something. They depend upon you. They come and trust you. The parents in this church, they want you to teach those kids the ways of God. And if you disappear and you go sideways and you don't pay your taxes and you don't find yourself in a place where you're, now you're all in pornography and you're not teaching the kids anymore, the kids suffer. The kids suffer. And the enemy went after a leader. You go, well, I'm not a leader. All I really do is just teach Bible study. No, we learned last time that whatever you do, you do it under the Lord. You matter. And so it makes sense that pastors are our targets. It makes sense that elders are targets. It makes sense that deacons are targets. It makes sense that Bible, Bible teachers, Sunday school teachers, you name it, believers, you have influence. You have influence in our culture. You have influence in our city. You have influence at work. You have influence in home. And Nehemiah realized something. When you're attacked, your credibility is attacked. Nehemiah realized something. He realized that protecting his reputation was beyond his control. He needed to continue to live by faith. Let me repeat that. Nehemiah realized that protecting his reputation was beyond his control. So he gave a quick rebuttal. He said, no, you're making it up. And he went back to work. But he also went back to work in an attitude of prayer. Where you find he's at the end of verse 9. He's just praying, God, would you just strengthen my hands? Because I believe this is given to us for two reasons. Number one, just to show you that he didn't have to get to a prayer closet. He didn't have to say a big, long prayer. As a matter of fact, Nehemiah is known for his quick, quick, powerful prayers. But I also see not only is he a man of prayer, but secondly, I think it's getting to him. Strengthen my hands. It's getting to him. Four times, five times, and now, you know, open letter in ancient days, you know, you could, two ways you could send a letter. You could send it to the recipient sealed, so that only the recipient could break that seal and read it. But an open letter would be read 
at every stop. The whole purpose of an open letter was to influence as many people by that letter. So they would stop and read, stop and read. Anybody, they'd gather a crowd, read it, move on to the next village. Gather a crowd, read it, move on, move on. So they're smearing his reputation all over town is basically what's happening. And I've heard it said this way, something I've adopted in my own life. If I take care of my character, God will take care of my reputation. If I make sure my life is abiding in Christ, then I can leave my reputation, however God wants to use it, in his hands. And by that motto, I can focus my energy and effort on the work that God has given me to do. And so can you. If you take care of your character and you are the same man hidden in your private life as you are in your public life, if you're the same woman privately in the inner parts of your heart as you are as everybody knows, God will take care of your reputation. And I know that many of you have been on the other end of a lie, somebody lying about you at work, somebody that wants your job, wants your position. You might even, they might even, the HR might have even believed it and you lost your job for it. It's painful. Could be within your family where family members love to talk and love to gossip and love to rumor, spread rumors about you and love to perpetuate and want to hurt you. For what reason? Only God knows. You can't protect or defend your reputation in terms of controlling the situation. You can't. And this is a profound thought as we move on to the second or to the third point, but here's a profound thought. You should remember this. People are going to think whatever they want to think. You can't control that. So to go to the plains of Ono one more time to try to reason with them, to try to convince them, hey, people are going to think what they think, especially if an enemy of God is trying to smear your reputation, Facebook, Twitter, text, and all these lies just keep your eyes on the Lord and understand it's going to come if it hasn't already. Number three, notice with me, number three, in verse 10. Afterward, I came to the house of Shimeiah, the son of Deliah. <laughs> Don't laugh. You go home and read these in front of the mirror and let me know how it goes. <laughs> the son of Mehetabiel, who was a secret informer. Oh, really? Secret informer. So somebody close to Nehemiah is a liar. Does that remind you of anyone? Wasn't there someone close to Jesus that was a liar? Well, notice, he's a secret informer, and he said, let us meet together in the house of God. Now the attack gets spiritual. Now that, forget about the plane of Ono now. Here's a guy that's paid to lie, pr false prophet, and says, let's go meet in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they're coming to kill you. Indeed, at night, they'll come to kill you. And I said... Should a, such a man as I flee? And who is there such as I would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. And say it with me. It's another way of saying, no. No, I'm not going in. No. And you just got to set your heart and your mind toward obeying God. When your heart and mind is set toward obeying God, even a temptation, let's go to the house of God, let's lock ourselves. And he tried to make him afraid. You know why? Because the fear of man will destroy you. It's like a trap. It's a snare, the Bible says. And once you can be afraid of man, fear then leads to panic. And you know as well as I do, panic leads to a lot of bad decisions. Now, it's not that God didn't give us fear in order for self-protection and stuff. Fear in its right, fear is kind of like fire. In its right context is really good. 
But when it's out of control, it's really, really bad. And here we are again. I'm not going in. And notice, here's the discernment again, verse 12. Then I perceived that God had not sent him at all. This was not from the Lord. This is not wisdom from God. This doesn't sound like God. It doesn't look like God. But they pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. So not only was he a secret informant, he was a paid informant. Remember in the trial or the false trial of Jesus, they actually paid people to lie, to bring about his false conviction. And it says in verse 13, for this reason he was hired that I should be afraid and act that way in sin so that they might have occasion for an evil report that they might reproach me. Strategy number three was a direct invitation to sin. Now they're not even messing around. Just come into the temple, use the temple, use the resources of God for yourself, Nehemiah. They're coming after you. They're gonna kill you. If you don't hide in the temple, if you don't cower away, then you're going out. They're gonna take you out. They, they, have, they have, not only trying to assassinate your character, now they've got an assassination attempt on your life. So let's run to the temple, close the doors. There you'll be safe. But this is a direct invitation to sinning against God. The temple, the things of God are not used, not to be used in that way. This is not a legitimate spiritual invitation, but a temptation to lead Nehemiah into sin so that this one act will soil his whole life. That's what he's concerned about. He says, if I did that, then people are going to reproach me. The name of God is going to be reproached. I'm not going to sin. What kind of guy do you think I am? You totally misunderstand me. I'm a man of courage and conviction. I'm a man who sticks by my word. You've already know the enemy's already recognized he's resisted this five times. He's resisted the assassination of his character and his reputation. He said, I'm not running away. I'm standing firm. And it's been said, and I quote, true courage is not the absence of fear, but it's going on and doing the right thing even though you do fear. And this is so encouraging. Nehemiah is not worn down to the point of making bad decisions. He's strong in the Lord. And his courage comes from the Lord. And no matter what comes our way, how much and how hard, that courage in Nehemiah that came from the Lord can be ours as well. But I have to say in my own life, I haven't always experienced this kind of courage. There have been seasons in my life where I don't reflect. I haven't reflected the, the strength of Nehemiah. I'm sure you can see it in your life as well where in a weakened position, where I, ha I was so tired physically, and I was so tired emotionally, and I was so beat down with the warfare and the things surrounding me, that I have been tempted on more than one occasion, especially in the last, probably specifically in the last seven years, to just throw in the towel. Uh, words in my mind have come up, and they actually uh, have come out of my mouth before. And it's not just my inside voice anymore. It actually came out of my mouth and my outside voice where I have approached situations where I said, I'm done. Anybody ever use those words? Yes, no? No, Ed, it's all you. You are one messed up guy. All right, I'm all right. That's, this is my life and God uses it anyway. And I'm just like, I'm done. I'm done with this. And, and there's been this specific laser pointed attack of the enemy that has been relentless for six and a half years in my life. And I have to say now 
God has made me a stronger man through it. It hasn't ended, but he has made me a stronger man. And I've been able to endure. Listen, I'm nowhere like Nehemiah. But even in a weak guy like me, I have been able in the power of God to endure even the temptation to quit because of God's faithfulness. And God is faithful in your life too. He will complete the work that he started in your life. He will. You can hold on to it. You can bank it. You can base your whole life upon that one promise that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He will do that. He is doing that. He will do that. He is doing that. So even today, if you hear Nehemiah, and instead of being encouraged, it kind of discourages you because you're like, well, Ed, I haven't shown this kind of courage before, or I almost gave up, or I was talking to a brother recently who was just saying, yeah, you know, I have, I, I fell away and I wandered off, but he was back. And we say, welcome home, welcome home. No longer looking backwards, we forget those things that are behind us and what? We look forward to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus and we run our race. Keep your eye on the finish line. We're running our race and here, Nehemiah is filled with courage of God. He's filled with courage and again he says, nah, this guy's a false, he's not, he's not true, he's a false, he's a liar, a hired hand. The spiritual attack and trap was all too familiar. It was Alan Redpath that wrote this, and I quote, whether you be a pastor or a teacher or an evangelist or a Sunday school leader, or whatever your position might be in Christian leadership, let me say that there will always be those who are friendly to your face, but you plan your downfall behind your back. Beware of the fawning, flattering Christian who's always fluttering around and who behind your back will be the first to rejoice when you go down. And it's true. This guy was super close to Nehemiah and he was a liar and a cheat and it happens. Finally, number four, pick up with me in verse 14. My God, remember Tobiah and Sambalat, according to these their works and the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who would have made me afraid. And again, Nehemiah just commits him to the Lord. He allows God to be his defender. He resists and he denies the lies, but he steps back and he says, look, I've got a great work going on here. I'm gonna let God defend me. And notice he says in verse 15, the wall was finished on the 25th day, the month of Elu, in 52 days. <laughs> Nehemiah was able to do in 52 days what the children of Israel didn't care about for hundreds of years. 52 days. You know, God can do a quick work in your life. You know that? What you think is going to take forever, God can do pretty quickly. You turn to him, you draw near to him, the Bible says he'll draw near to you. He can do a fast work, a quick work, faster than you even think, more than you can think or imagine. It happened then, verse 16, when all of our enemies heard of it and all the nations around us saw these things, that they were very disheartened in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was done by our God. Here they are trying to make Nehemiah afraid, and they're the ones that are bummed out. However, the wall's done, it's a new assignment for Nehemiah. You would think, it's over, the attacks are over. Whew, finished my work, I'm done, the wall's done. But notice one more thing in verse 17. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah and the letters of Tobiah came to them. So you have now people of God communicating with the enemy. 
not breaking off that relationship. But instead, they're, they're communicating because they have something to do with Tobias. Tobiah is got some, still got some power and influence, and they want that power and influence. And instead of committing to the leadership that God gave them, they are friends with the enemy. Verse 18, for many in Judah were pledged to him. Now, wait a minute. Remember the letter? The letter said, back in verse 7, there will be a king in Judah. And people in Judah, notice, have been pledged to Tobiah. Which brings us to the fourth and final attack, and that is all-out discouragement. If you've ever been betrayed by someone you trusted, it is a discouraging thing. And usually it's in discouragement when people quit. Oh, it's not enough to have these letters. Leave the work and let's go to the plain of Ono so we can kill you. Uh, No thanks. Oh, there's a fifth letter. Let us kill your reputation. Let us ruin what everybody thinks about you. No thank you. Oh, well then let's run to the temple. Let's go and you can protect yourself because they're coming and everybody's after you. No. And then the wall's done. Yes. This is awesome. We did it. We hung the gates. Everything's great. Oh, by the way, by the way, there are many in Judah pledged to your enemy. You know Judah? You know what his name means? Anybody? Say it out loud if you know it. It means praise. So here are people that are to be known for their praise. The very tribe by which the line, the lion of the king, the king of Judah, the, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the Messiah will come from. There are some that are to be praising God instead of turned against God. And Nehemiah has to feel the brunt of that. They were pledged to him. Why? Because he's the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Era, the son of Johanan, married the daughter of Meshulam, the son of... Now, Tobiah is an enemy because the people of God disobeyed God earlier. Now he's a relative. And they reported his good deeds before me and reported my words to him. And Tobiah just didn't stop. Do you see that in verse 19? Tobiah sent letters to frighten me non-stop discouragement. The enemy goes for the heart. The, the finishing of the walls was a complete embarrassment to the enemies of God. It revealed that they weren't successful. And instead of retreating, they went even deeper, influencing people. They didn't even have to pay these guys from Judah. The, the, prophet, the false prophet they paid, but they didn't have to pay for these guys because they were in line. They pledged themselves to the enemy. I'm telling you, if you don't understand this in your life, it's going to cause you a lot of pain. Where you've pledged yourself to someone anti-God and you have some friends that love God and you're kind of trying to play both sides. And you've got, you, you've got these friends that are encouraging you and pointing you to the Lord and you've got these other ones that are anti-God or maybe anti-your friend. And I'm telling you, anybody you pledge yourself with, any close friend is going to influence you. And the Bible says that evil company corrupts good habits. Don't think that won't happen. Don't, oh no, Ed, I got it all under control and everything's gonna be fine. These people that pledged themselves to Tobiah became an enemy of Nehemiah. I don't know about you, but Nehemiah would not be my enemy. He'd be my friend. He'd be the guy I pledge myself to. He'd be the guy that I follow. He'd be the guy that I commit to lead. That's a man that I wanna follow. And yet there were people there that went against Nehemiah for the enemies of God. Don't do it. You'll regret it and you'll waste that time in your life. Because this was super discouraging to see people align themselves with the enemies of God. 
compromised brothers and sisters. Compromise always begets more compromise. And the very people that we would normally expect to lift us up in tough times, the people that we would expect to help us and to encourage us, the people we would expect to bear bur- help us bear burdens are instead living in compromise and now used to discourage you. The people that were supposed to be with you and said they were with you were communicating with Tobiah and were against him. It's amazing. Those that were intermarrying with the pagans and just didn't take the things of God seriously. So Tobiah found an open door to get to Nehemiah through the compromise of other people, people that were close to him. And when these nobles cooperated with Tobiah, they were resisting the Lord, disobeying the word, and jeopardizing their own future. Why would they risk so much? Well, they allowed the enemy to influence them. They believed Tobiah more than they did God. Instead of seeking the truth, they enjoyed and believed the enemy's lies. It's the exact same attack that started in the Garden of Eden. To believe a lie about the character and the nature of God. When you take steps of faith, church, you're going to be faced with opposition. When great and open doors are before you, you need to expect that you're going to get hit and you're going to get hit hard. Now, some of you have been listening and you've been patient with me, listening on the radio, and you go, well, Ed, that's a great message on opposition, but I haven't experienced opposition in a long time. That's not good. We should be experiencing it all the time. Maybe you're not near an open door. Maybe you're not even near a door for God at all. Boy, Ed, I'm here, aren't I? Yeah. But being here is not the sum of your spiritual life. Listening to a Bible study is really not the meat of the word. You know how people go, I want to be fed the word of God. Feed me the word of God. Well, you know, feeding you the word of God, teaching you a Bible study, the meat of God's word is not you sitting listening to a Bible study. The meat of God's word is you doing what you heard. And some of you have got to look at some resistance in your life. Some of you have to look at discouragement. Some of you have to look at friendships in your life. Like God has given us a lot to consider. But I think the overarching area of us to consider is, do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind? And are you willing to love your neighbor as yourself? As people today are praying about leaving everything that they know to move to our city. Why? because they want to reach the people of our city. There are men and women praying about coming alongside a church plant. Men and women that have been praying for our city, they've circled it on a map. Every morning they pray with their kids, every night they pray with their kids, they go, we want to be in Aurora. We want to be in Denver. We feel a call to Colorado. We know they're not saved yet. We know that this is our life. We are willing to give everything up for the sake of the gospel. And yet we live here. We're already here. And I welcome anyone that wants to come here and reach this city, but I also want to stir you up and welcome you to reach this city, to reach this community, to reach this state, be a future missionary, to launch off and go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you're gonna meet opposition, and you're gonna wanna quit, And you're going to want to find yourself in a place of just throwing in the towel. It doesn't make you a bad person, just makes you a normal person. And when you begin to feel that, 
You just know that God is on your side and he's promised to never leave you or forsake you. He's for you, not against you. Trust him, press into him as we launch off into this new year. So Father, thank you for the privilege of knowing you and loving you and, and just, you know, thinking of Nehemiah here and maybe our lives don't totally measure up to Nehemiah and he's just such a great example to us. But let him be that, God, an example to us. Let him show us how to resist temptation. Let, him, let his life encourage us to not give in, to not give up, to not quit, to not throw in the towel. Even those that might have walked in the room today saying, I'm done, it's over, it, I'm through. Would you just come alongside of them, encourage them, heal them, comfort them, and forgive us, Lord, forgive me for even contemplating quitting, even letting that be on the table, even allowing that to flood my mind. And thank you for your steadfast commitment and your help in time of need. Indeed, I've learned your promises are true. And may I lean more into your promises by faith as we pick up next time with Noah as we pick up with Abraham and all those men and women of faith that stir us and forgive us for our carelessness in our city, in our community. Let us be kingdom-minded, committed to the gospel, the good news that our sins can be forgiven through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.